This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the health department reports 57 additional fatalities and 4,300 new cases of COVID-19. Florida's death toll has reached 16,709. Our first fatalities were on March 6th. Since then, we've averaged 71 deaths every single day. But the governor decided it was more important to use his bully pulpit this time around to talk about opioid abuse. We have more overdoses that have occurred uh, over the last uh, six months, year over year, uh, than, than it occurred previously. And so this is just something that we're going to have to face. One person who is not shying away from the COVID crisis is Barack Obama. More than 225,000 people in this country are dead. More than 100,000 small businesses have closed. Half a million jobs are gone in Florida alone. Think about that. The former president spoke at a drive-up rally in Orlando. It was his second visit to Florida in just four days to campaign for Joe Biden. We can't be complacent. We were complacent last time. Folks got a little lazy. Folks took things for granted. And look what happened. Not this time. Not in this election. Early voting continues in Florida, but voting rights groups say there are problems, especially in Duval County, where the local canvassing board is prohibiting cameras and limiting attendance when they check mail-in ballots. They're making this critical process in our elections secretive, and it's really the antithesis of Florida's sunshine laws. It does nothing to instill confidence in our officials who are sworn to uphold voters' rights. Six and a half million Floridians have already voted by mail or cast their ballots at one of the early voting sites, but there are problems with more than 20,000 of those mail-in ballots, and they may not be counted. We'll also check out your calendar of political events and get the latest on Florida Man, a firefighter infected with COVID-19 who violated quarantine because he was bored. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, October 28th. It was on this day in 1886 that the Statue of Liberty was dedicated by President Grover Cleveland in New York Harbor. Today is also National Chocolate Day, and it's Separation of Church and State Day, commemorating the 1963 Supreme Court decision which ruled that school-sponsored Bible reading in public schools is unconstitutional. Another day, another increase in the number of new COVID cases in Florida. The health department confirmed 4,298 new infections Tuesday, increasing the statewide total to more than 786,000. 57 additional fatalities were reported Tuesday. That increases the death toll to 16,709. Florida is third in the nation in the number of COVID-19 cases, trailing California and Texas. And former President Barack Obama says it's all because of Donald Trump. He spoke during a drive-up rally in Orlando. More than 225,000 people in this country are dead. More than 100,000 small businesses have closed. Half a million jobs are gone in Florida alone. Think about that. What's his closing argument? That people are too focused on COVID. He said this at one of his rallies. COVID, 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 he's complaining. He's jealous of COVID's media coverage. If he had been focused on COVID from the beginning, cases wouldn't be reaching new record highs across the country this week. If we were focused on COVID now, the White House wouldn't be having its second outbreak in a month. The White House. Let me say this. I lived in the White House for a while. You know, it's a controlled environment. You can 
take some preventive measures in the White House to avoid getting sick. Except this guy can't seem to do it. He's turned the White House into a hot zone. Some of the places he holds rallies have seen new spikes right after he leaves town. And over the weekend, his chief of staff said, and I'm quoting here, I'm not making this up. His chief of staff on a news program says, we're not going to control the pandemic. He just said this. Yes, he did. And yes, we noticed you're not going to control the pandemic. Listen, winter is coming. They're waving the white flag of surrender. Florida, we can't afford four more years of this. That's why we've got to send Joe Biden to the White House. Because we cannot afford this kind of incompetence and disinterest. This was Obama's second rally in Florida in four days. He's urging Joe Biden's supporters not to get complacent in the closing days of the campaign. Joe and Kamala, they care deeply about people and they care about our democracy. They believe that in a democracy, the right to vote is sacred. We shouldn't be making people wait in line for hours. We should be making it easier for everybody to vote, not harder. They believe that no one, especially the president, is above the law. They understand the protest isn't un-American. This country was founded on protesting against injustice. And we don't threaten to throw our political opponents in jail just because we disagree with them. That's what happens in dictatorships. It doesn't happen in the United States of America. Joe and Kamala understand that our ability to work together to solve big problems like the pandemic depends on more than just photo ops. It depends on applying facts and logic and science and not making things up, not flooding the internet with misinformation. These should not be Republican or Democratic values. They're what we grew up learning from our parents and our grandparents. They're not white or black or Hispanic or Asian or Native American values. They're supposed to be American values. And we have to reclaim them right now. And how are we going to do that? By voting. We've got to turn out like never before, Orlando. We have to leave no doubt. We can't be complacent. We were complacent last time. Folks got a little lazy. Folks took things for granted. And look what happened. Not this time. Not in this election. Early voting in the election continues today, but not without some problems. Brad Ashwell with All Voting is Local says the election supervisor in Jacksonville is limiting the number of people allowed in the room when the canvassing board reviews mail-in ballots and will not allow proceedings to be recorded. Cameras, video cameras, cell phone cameras are not permitted to be used during ballot canvassing. Uh, they also have a rule that restricts the number of people who can be in a room, and due to COVID, they've, they've just set up the canvassing board so that very few people can monitor it physically. Um, we believe this, this procedure threatens um, to deny the public and media reasonable access to view board deliberations. Uh, we believe that's guaranteed by the Florida Constitution and, again, the statute. Government in the sunshine is a central element of public policymaking in Florida. The COVID-19 pandemic is resulting in the need for social distancing, which has limited, you know, it's legitimate that they limit the number of people who can be in the boardroom, 
but that doesn't mean people who can't be physically present should be excluded from participation. The board could easily make this process transparent and inclusive by arranging to have the canvassing board meetings um, simulcast online and recorded on video through Zoom or another platform, just as the Jacksonville City Council does. But even if the board refuses to make its meetings uh, digitally available, it shouldn't restrict the ability of citizens uh, to monitor the meeting in person. They're making this critical process in our elections secretive, and it's really the antithesis of Florida's sunshine laws. It does nothing to instill confidence in our officials who are sworn to uphold voters' rights. Um, We really feel strongly that this board must be transparent in how the ballots are handled, how the ballots are marked, interpreted, uh, and the process they're using for signature verification, which is ever important this year as hundreds of thousands of voters are, are voting by mail. Um, in other counties, they've adopted technology and overflow rooms to allow for safe visibility in their canvassing process, uh, but, but in Duval, they're clamping down. We see this as sort of one more episode in the process or uh, a series of issues that have popped up in Duval around Supervisor Hogan. He's, he's really risen to our attention as, as one of the bad actors in the state, and it's unfortunate. Samuel Delgado with the ACLU of Florida says there's a problem in Seminole County, where the ballots printed in Spanish are very difficult to read, and there are only two election workers who speak Spanish in a county where 22% of the residents are Hispanic. We've seen a a number of issues when it comes to setting voters up for success in this election in Seminole County, uh, particularly when it comes to the sample ballots that were mailed out Uh, to prepare voters uh, to cast their ballot and how they're going to vote. We saw the Spanish translation on these bilingual sample ballots um, written with almost no character spacing on the words uh, that were written in italics in the Spanish translation. So uh, it looks as though every single word in the Spanish translation is crunched together and it makes it very difficult uh, to read. Uh, And that's compounded by an issue that we saw uh, for quite a while uh, ahead of the elections, even ahead of the primaries, where the supervisor of elections office hotline has a vast array of options for English speaking voters uh, who call in. And when you call for a Spanish translation, it either tells you only to go to the website Um, or hold to speak to an employee of the supervisor of elections office. Uh, And upon trying that, uh, we recognized that there was only two Spanish-speaking employees of the supervisor of elections office available to help voters, um, and that that hotline rings to the first staff who picks the phone up rather than um, ringing directly to a Spanish speaker. So... Basically, if a monolingual Spanish speaker calls into the office, uh, it's really luck of the draw whether they get someone who can actually understand them or not. Corinne Freeman runs the Florida for All Education Fund, and she has a fairly simple beef with the election supervisor in Broward County. See, they set up the drop boxes for mail-in ballots inside the early voting sites. So instead of simply driving up and placing your ballot in the box outside, you have to stand in line with all the people waiting to vote inside and risk exposure to COVID-19. While over 500,000 ballots have already been cast in the second most populous county in the state of Florida, we are surprised and deeply concerned to learn that that despite continued advocacy with the current supervisor of election, the vote by mail ballot drop boxes in Broward County 
are all stationed inside early voting sites at almost all early vote locations. And this is problematic for a number of reasons. For line management, you have people who have ballots that they can just drop off waiting in line at early vote locations when they should be able to just come right up to the curb, pop their ballot in, and then drive off home. It creates longer lines for people who actually do plan to vote in line for early voting. It also is an inconvenience to voters, especially in the middle of a global pandemic. We're requiring people to stand in line and to be in closer contact with people uh, puts people at risk. Uh, and it's a risk that doesn't need to be taken. It's a risk that can very easily be mitigated by Mr. Antonacci, Supervisor Antonacci, just having these ballot drop-off locations be outside intended by the curb so people can just easily drop their ballots off. Um, it's less people occupying parking spaces and just promotes better health and safety of folks in the midst of this pandemic. And we think that it even has the potential to help with voter turnout. It can make voter turnout much easier if I understand and know that I have the ability to drop off my ballot in a drop box by the curb outside. I am going to be much more willing to go to the early vote site and to drop it off. Almost 4 million Floridians have already voted by mail, but more than 20,000 of those votes may not be counted. Two-thirds of the ballots are faulty because there is no signature. The rest were rejected because the signature didn't match the one on file. Now, you still get a chance to fix it. The official term is to cure the ballot. But here's an interesting fact. Almost half the faulty ballots submitted by white voters have already been cured. But only 23% of the ballots from blacks and 18% of the ballots from Hispanics have been cured. Next up on Sunrise in Depth, you'll hear from the governor, the first lady, and a former addict about why we should be paying more attention to opioids during a COVID crisis. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. Predict It is like the stock market for all things politics. Instead of trading stock in companies, you're investing money into your opinions on everything from election results to how many times President Trump will tweet this week. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Our podcast listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Try it today. Welcome back to Sunrise. The governor held another one of his roundtable discussions Tuesday, but instead of the COVID crisis, they talked about the opioid crisis, which has been going on in Florida for the past decade. Ron DeSantis says the feds are providing $5 million for a pilot project in Seminole County that tries to help addicts by providing recovery and supportive services, career training, and eventually employment. It's called Fostering Opioid Recovery Through Workforce Development. One of the things we've done since I took office uh, was focus on allocating resources to address substance abuse and mental health issues, but particularly the opioid uh, crisis. During my first two years in office, we've invested more than $275 million to fight the epidemic in Florida, including more than $160 million through the state opioid response grant to provide evidence-based prevention, medication-assisted treatment, and recovery. But we have a lot more to do, and 
the, the cold, hard facts are uh, that the advent of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, has been rough um, on the efforts, not just in terms of mental health or substance abuse generally, uh, but the opioid epidemic uh, specifically. Uh, we have more uh, overdoses that have occurred uh, over the last uh, six months, year over year, uh, than, than it occurred previously. And so this is just something that we're going to have to face. Uh, you know, when, you're, when people are told to stay apart and isolate, that has really negative effects when you're talking about someone that may be addicted. And um, so we have a lot of work to do with the over overdoses up 62% um, over the last six months compared to last year. Uh, so today is one step um, in addressing uh, this problem that we have to confront. We are going to um, spend $5 million. We were awarded a grant from the U.S. Department of Labor for a pilot program called Support to Communities Fostering Opioid Recovery Through Workforce Development. Now, this new pilot program will focus on connecting individuals who have been impacted by opioid abuse, addiction, and other substance use, or use disorders with the resources they need to recover and find meaningful employment in their communities. This funding will be used in areas across the state that were particularly affected by the opioid crisis and will provide wraparound services including recovery and support services, career training, and employment services to participants. Katie Bowman knows about the opioid crisis all too well, but she's been sober for eight years now. This epidemic is really um, an, an addict's dream because we love isolation when we're alone. We like to be alone with our shame and our guilt and our addiction. And um, I'm so happy to hear of a program and a place where people can go to get that help, receive that connection that we need, um, connection with my community, connection with a good job that I could earn a good livable wage uh, working and supporting myself. Gave me that hope that I needed to turn six months into one year, one year into two, and two now into eight. And uh, I'm glad to see that there is still some light and some importance being shed upon that issue because it is still such an issue and um, can't wait for the center to open. I hope that um, I will be able to give back in some capacity once the center's open and, and just help share that hope because that is such a big part. Um, and then support for the families. I know that's a big part of what you guys are trying to achieve because navigating addiction is scary for the person suffering from it, but uh, I would imagine it is even scarier for the families. So. Um, giving them that, that navigator and helping them figure out treatments, best ways to stay clean, best ways for the families to support them, and those other avenues is going to be really pivotal in, in turning this around. First Lady Casey DeSantis says this is not your classic government program because it starts at the local level instead of being driven by Tallahassee or Washington. It's not a top-down state approach. It is the communities who are the driving factors behind the success in helping people in need. And so that goes beyond just government because we've always said that government is not the solution. It is a part of the solution. And so therefore, we are working with the private sector, as you can see here. We're working with law enforcement. We're working with our educators. Uh, we're making sure that the faith-based community is involved, the private sector. Everybody has a hand at the table and that we're not going down separate roads, but we're working together again with a unified goal 
goal, and that is making sure that we're helping people in need, because it is one thing to provide somebody with help, it is another thing to provide them with hope. And we have to make sure that while we are giving them the treatment and the services that they need to be able to battle the addiction, we also have to make sure that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. The new program also supports training for workers in medical, mental health, and substance abuse recovery-related fields. Now, if it works in Seminole County, they hope to expand it statewide. Today's calendar of political events begins with the steering committee of the Central Florida Water Initiative. They're meeting online at 9. The Florida Commission on Offender Review meets by conference call at 9. The Governor's Panel on Excellence in Long-Term Care meets at 9. They'll be reviewing nursing home applications for gold seal designations. The Valencia College Board of Trustees meets online at 9.30. The State Reemployment Assistance Appeals Commission meets at 9.30. Trustees at Florida International University meet at 10.30. The trustees at South Florida State College meet online at 1. The College of Central Florida Trustees meet at 3 in Ocala. The Visit Florida Executive Committee holds an online meeting at 4. They're trying to expand their tourism marketing efforts. Trustees at Hillsborough Community College meet online at 4. And at 6, the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission continues a series of webinars about rule changes related to waterfowl in restricted hunting areas. Finally today, a Florida man who works as a firefighter loses three days of pay for breaking quarantine. Seminole County firefighter Joseph Piambino tested positive for COVID back in June. He was ordered to quarantine for 14 days at full pay. Four days before the end of quarantine, he posted pictures on social media from his boat and from a party at a friend's house. Piambino told his bosses he broke quarantine because he was bored, was going crazy sitting on the couch. He could have been fired, but they decided to suspend him for three days without pay. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.